Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. How's it going? Today, I want to talk to you about consequences. There's a lot of hoopla about will consequences work on kids with anxiety or OCD. I see a lot of couples struggling and a lot of families having conflict around the debate over should we consequence this behavior that is because or is being generated from this child's anxiety or OCD. So I want to talk to you about, well, spoiler alert, the title of the podcast kind of gives the game away, but I want to talk to you about why consequences don't work on anxiety or OCD, not because it is a philosophical parental decision, but why objectively it just won't work. And I'm not going to leave you hanging. We'll talk about what things to do instead, because this is all about giving you hope, giving you ideas, giving you support. And we will wrap up with well, then what should I do when my child is acting this way? Or what should I do when their anxiety or OCD is causing this, this, and this? But before we jump into it, I do want to say thank you to NoCD. This episode is sponsored by NoCD. And NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. It's available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. in many different countries. You can schedule your free 15-minute consultation. Just to even see if NoCD is the right fit for you. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I will leave links in the show notes. Hearing lots of good feedback from parents who have been going to NoCD. And I thank them for making OCD therapy more accessible to the average family. We need that. So let's talk about consequences, shall we? I know that that's a very tricky thing. It's something as a mom to three kids with anxiety and OCD, I grapple with on a daily basis as well, because I'm always asking myself, what is this behavior? (laughs) Where is this coming from? And how do I, how do I address it? So I want to say, as we dive into this, and we want to think about this on a couple of different levels. One, our kids are still kids and they will have kid behavior. They will forget things. They will do things that are pushing boundaries that goes in the normal parenting category. We're not going to be talking about normal parenting topics today. Everybody has a different philosophy on how they want to discipline. I think a lot of times it can come from our own childhood. And I do love that topic. And so if you want to dive into that, I think that's an interesting topic as far as how your own childhood influences how you parent. So I did do an episode on that. Episode 124 is how your childhood influences how you parent an anxious child. And then I did an article on six ways your childhood is ruling your parenting. So if you go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com, scroll all the way to the bottom and type in that title, six ways your childhood is ruling your parenting, you will be able to check that out. I used to write articles all the time. And then eventually I said, you know, I really like talking in a microphone (laughs) and making YouTube videos. So I haven't done that in a long time, but that's an old article that might be helpful. But we're not going to be talking about how you discipline your child. That's none of my business. There are plenty of other podcasters out there who are going to talk to you about how you should or shouldn't parent. That's none of my business. You do you. I do me. It's fine. Our kids will generally, as long as we're not being abusive, they'll turn out okay. I really don't go into camps. But when we're talking about anxiety or OCD, that's a different topic. So I'm going to talk about it in two different ways. One, difficult behavior that comes from anxiety or OCD. And anxiety and OCD itself. Can we do tough love? Can I, you know, give consequences? You don't want to go to school. You're afraid to go to school. Okay. You know what? You're losing your iPad. You can't go out with your friends. You can't blah, 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 blah. So I want to talk about those two different things because those are very different as far as consequencing anxiety and OCD directly, and then consequencing behaviors that are related to anxiety or OCD. That's kind of two different conversations that I'm going to cover today. So Let's just talk about the easier one first, which is the very pure one. My child has anxiety or they have OCD. Um, Maybe they've been diagnosed. Maybe you suffer yourself or your partner suffers and you know you don't need a psychiatrist or psychologist or a therapist to tell you that your child has anxiety or OCD. And sometimes I'll see, I saw this in my practice. I see it in my online membership community where one of the partners 
will blame the other partner or family members, extended family members will blame other family members and say, you know, you just kind of coddle them. If you didn't coddle them, if you did a little tough love, a little bit of discipline, they would be better. And really, regardless of whether we want to split hairs or get into parenting styles, the objective fact is that that just doesn't work. And some people might kind of have a rebuttal to that. They'll say, no, it does, Natasha. When I'm watching the kids, they behave for me. And when my partner or the other relative watches the kids, they're out of control. Like all of a sudden they're having panic attacks or they're afraid to do this or they're clingy. If it weren't true, they wouldn't be great for me and not great for my partner. Well, there is a reason for that. And that reason is because that child often is anxious. And even if you don't see it and it's not overt, yes, in the short term, anxiety can be stifled with intimidation. Even if you're not intending to be intimidating, anxious kids tend to be very sensitive. And so they can be overwhelmed with fear and they can be intimidated and their anxiety or OCD can go dormant or covert or they stuff it. And when kids stuff it, there's a lot of secondary consequences that happen with that. And so a lot of our medical conditions, a lot of autoimmune conditions, a lot of physical ailments are increased and made worse by stress and anxiety. And so you wind up having kids who have a lot of stomach issues. It can turn into IBS or ulcers. You have kids who have migraines, kids who start to have joint pain from stress, struggles with breathing, can have a lot of somatic issues that could be caused by stuffing their issues and trying to hide them or conceal them. So we don't want that. And they're also not developing any kind of coping mechanisms. So they're not going to be surrounded by somebody who's going to, you know, rule with an iron fist for the rest of their life. Their teachers aren't going to always be like that. Their bosses aren't going to be like that. And frankly, even if they were, it's not going to help them become all that they can be, it's going to make them have more self-hate, have more insecurities, poor self-esteem, poor self-identity, because they feel like they're doing something wrong. So that's why consequences typically don't work. Even if you're a parent who uses them and one another parent doesn't, or another relative doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're being more effective than the parent who is validating and identifying the anxiety. It just means that that child is learning how to stuff their feelings, which we don't want. The other thing that's important, and there was just a research, this is actually why I'm doing this topic today, is this came in my inbox and it's not really like a, whoa, this is shocking information, but it's nice to see research that's coming out that objectively is showing and indicating that there are physiological, biological differences in the anxious brain versus the non-anxious brain. And so a study has just come out that shows people with anxiety show fundamental differences in their perception. And I think this is fascinating because it shows that there are, there are biological differences in the brain that cause our kids and sometimes us, depending on whether the apple hasn't fallen far from the genetic tree, to have these anxious thoughts. So reading this study, kind of quoting it, it says, we show that in patients with anxiety, emotional experience induces plasticity in brain circuits that lasts after the experience is over. And so I won't bore you with all of it, but I will link it in my show notes so you can read like a little blurb about it. But they're saying that the brain overgeneralizes upsetting or anxious situations. It doesn't let it go. So that's not surprising. So we've known that for a while in other research studies that we really need to rewire the brain. And that is a lot of what the inhibitory learning model talks about when we talk about OCD is that the brain has one experience and it generalizes. And so the brain might say, and I'm talking about anxiety right now, I'm not going to get into OCD as well. So don't you worry about that. We will cover both because they are physiologically very different. And I'm not a biologist. I'm a therapist. So, um, you know, this isn't my world, but I only read things about anxiety and OCD. So that is my narrow focus. And you know, we know anxiety is in the amygdala and OCD is more about the circuitry around the basal ganglia. And so they are different parts of the brain that we're talking about when it comes to anxiety and OCD. And I think sometimes people chalk everything up to the amygdala and they lump anxiety and OCD together. And they are very physiologically to me, um, to layman Natasha, very different in the way they present on some level and the circuitry that's involved. But we do know that regardless of whether it's anxiety or OCD, 
there is neuroplasticity, which I think is a fascinating topic in and of itself. And one of my early favorite books is Brain Lock, which talks about neuroplasticity. And if you haven't read uh, Jeffrey Schwartz's book, Brain Lock, it's something, it's a good read because it's not for kids, but it's uplifting because it makes you realize that that you have the power or your kids in this situation have the power to rewire their brain and the circuitry that's going on. And so on one hand, yeah, when we see research that says there's a physiological component to anxiety, that your kids aren't making this up. Um, you can get like, you know, a really tough old school parent who will say, my kid's a wuss. You know, I don't like that word, but that's what they say. You know, they're just a wimp. I need to toughen them up. You know, they're afraid of everything. They're afraid of their shadow. It's like ridiculous. We just need to stop being a mama's boy. You need to be tougher. Even in non-extreme examples, we might think, oh, you know, maybe we just need to kind of force them to get out of their comfort zone and should just do these things. Now, I'm actually going to tell you that that is the approach, but how we approach it is important. So if we force it and we punish it and we consequence it and we say, you know, oh my gosh, we need to like rewire your brain. And so if your brain tells you that going to school is scary, then I need to, you know, force you to go to school so that you can see that it's not scary. There's a component of that that's accurate, but there's a component of that that is not accurate because we want to foster and empower our kids. We don't want to strong arm them. And yes, there are situations where we have to be a little bit more forceful. My daughter has to get her blood taken very frequently. She has celiac and then she was being tested for diabetes and Hashimoto's. So she has to get blood work. It seems like a lot. And then, you know, my husband passed away and they found that he had a marker. Well, they found out that he had um, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It's not how he died, but they found that in the autopsy. It was total. I'm going on a weird tangent right now. And so, you know, they had to get blood work or they have to get evaluated for that to make sure that to see what's going on with that because that's highly genetic. And so, yeah, I have to force her to get blood work. Like that's not an option. That's a health issue. And we have to have that done. But how am I going to do that? Am I going to consequence her and say, um, if you don't do this, you're losing all your electronics for, you know, the next week? Or do I incentivize her and I say, I know this is going to be really hard and I get that it's super scary. You know, I'm asking you that you're going to have to be brave and dig in and let's talk about your coping skills and let's talk about how we can make it a little bit easier on you. And for all your bravery, you can earn blah, blah, blah. Now, sometimes people will say, I'm not going to bribe my kids to do something that the average kid can already do. And there is some issues with that faulty thinking. And that is that your child's brain is not that of maybe a typical child, that if they have an anxiety disorder, they have OCD, there are circuitries that are not working the way they should be. And they're going to have to rewire that, whether it's with the help of medication, but also regardless of whether they're on medication or not, they're going to have to do their own stuff to rewire their brain. And we can't do that for them. We can't force them to do that. We have to take the slow ride and teach them and motivate them to work on these things themselves. Okay. So let me scale back a bit because I feel like I'm a little bit all over the place. So when it comes to just consequencing our kids for anxiety or OCD, that will not work. Um, It might seem like it's effective, but it will not work in the long term because their brain has to have an alternative experience. And this is what I teach in my How to Crush Anxiety course. It's what I teach in How to Crush OCD course is how do you start with that? How do you engage your kid? How do you motivate them? How do you get them to walk towards their fears instead of away from their fears? And so I might have something in common with a parent who is kind of gung-ho on the consequences because we probably both agree that the child should be walking towards their fears or towards their discomfort and not away from it. But I would not agree with forcing that in a punitive way. And so a lot of times when I talk about why we shouldn't consequence kids with anxiety or OCD, there are two very extreme parenting styles. There are the parents that I've kind of been describing that are very punitive. They are old school. You know, we don't want to coddle. If we can just make them do these things, they won't be like that. And then you have the completely opposite end of the spectrum where you have kids where the parent over-identifies with their child's anxiety or OCD, maybe has their own issues, and they want to not have their child have any discomfort. And so not only do they not want to use consequences, but they also don't want their child to take any steps towards their fear or discomfort because they don't want to see their child unhappy. And that comes from their own childhood. They have their own disorder. And so they over-identify and maybe they haven't gotten their own help. And they think the way to handle these things is to avoid 
or to not do things or give into it. And so those are two very opposite ends of the spectrum. And really, in a perfect world, we want a parent who is in the middle of that, a parent who gets that taking the steering wheel and driving the car instead of letting your child drive the car, this is their journey. I use that analogy a lot. That won't work. You can't strong arm your kids to do these things, but yet we don't want to overprotect them. We don't want to overaccommodate. And so that makes it very confusing. So straight out consequences for a child having an anxiety or OCD issue will not work. And it won't work because it's physiological. That's just the bottom line. It's physiological. I'll give you an example. You know, I said to you, I want you to go swim with sharks. And you said, I really don't want to swim with sharks because that seems really scary. I'm not going to give you a cage. I'm not going to give you any like a rod. I'm not going to give you any protective measures. I just want you to go swim with sharks. There's this nice little area. It's full of sharks. They're beautiful. Just going to get you in the water and have you go swim with them. Well, that would probably elicit a fear response, right? (laughs) It would for me. And it probably would even for a diver who loves sharks. If I said to you, you're not going to have any safety measures. I just want to plop you in there with a bunch of sharks. Maybe I'll sprinkle a little blood on you. Let's just add this, add a little bit to the story, right? Now everybody's going to have a fear response pretty solidly. That's what people with anxiety feel for things that are not shark related. So I might say, hey, you know, you're going to have to go and do that public speaking or, hey, you're going to have to go into your dark room and go to sleep by yourself. And for OCD, I might say, you know, you're going to have to go out there and touch that doorknob or go watch that movie, whatever it is. Anxiety and OCD can be very different, many, many different flavors. And so that's how your child feels like you're asking them to go swim with sharks. Now, if I said to you, if I got a gun out, (laughs) okay, this is very adult analogy. So stick with me. I'm going to get weird and graphic, but Let's just say I was psychotic (laughs) and I got a gun out and I said, okay, you have two choices. You can go swim with the sharks or I'm going to shoot you in the head. Those are your two options. Well, most people will probably say, okay, I'm going to take my risk and I'll go swim with the sharks because I don't want to argue with you. You're going to shoot me in the head. So you have intimidated me. And so, yeah, I'm going to jump in, but am I ever going to want to swim with sharks again? No, right? You have just pushed me and forced me to do something. And you might be saying, Oh my gosh, Natasha, like you're talking about a bullet in someone's head and sharks. That's nothing. I'm asking my kid to like sleep in their room alone, or I'm asking my kid to go to school and not worry if they might throw up or not. But what I'm trying to convey in a little of an exaggerated example is that their nervous system doesn't know the difference. They are seeing this as a 10. This is a a huge false alarm. Their brain is ringing to the level that your brain might ring for a serious scary situation. And that's what it feels like to have anxiety or OCD is it feels life-threatening a lot of times for our kids. Um, It may not always be a 10. I'm giving you an exaggerated example. I get that, but I'm doing that on purpose. So you can see that this is how a child or a teen or even adult can feel with anxiety or OCD, that they are jumping off a boat and they're going to swim with something that's really scary. Now let's go back to this example. So if that person, you know, they swam with the sharks, they survived for some reason, phew, you know, the sharks were all full already. And the next week they're back on a boat. There's no guy with a gun. And somebody says, go swim with the sharks. Wasn't that a wonderful experience? Do you think that person's going to say, yeah, that was wonderful. I'm going to go jump in with sharks. No. In fact, they're going to avoid sharks even more because they're traumatized. And so you're going to see an increase in anxiety, an increase in rigidity and increase in oppositional and resistant behavior because they had been forced by someone. So you might see that now, if that guy comes back with the gun, they might just run into the water and say, I'm going to go in with the sharks because they're afraid of you, but they haven't learned any skills. And so when they go with someone who is not threatening or intimidating, they are going to be even more anxious than they were before. So we're going to see even more extreme behavior. Now, if we say, I know sharks are scary, Um, Let's talk about all the things that scare you the most. Oh, well, you know, they can eat me. That's number one. Um, They can eat me. That's like number two. I could be eaten. That's like three and four. (laughs) But if I said, okay, what if I told you, you know, that we can put you in a cage and we've had lots of people go in this cage and you can still go in with the sharks, but you'll be safe. Stay in the middle of the cage. We have this rod. And if they come near you, you can hit it. I have no idea because I don't swim with sharks, but you know, it's another protective measure. And we're only, you know, we know this one area, you know, the sharks are not aggressive, blah, blah, blah. And so I coax you. And then I say, 
And I know you're being brave and you know, you can earn blah, blah, blah. And so I'm adding an incentive. Now I'm using a really weird example because I probably still wouldn't want to swim with sharks, but I'm much more likely to even contemplate it. And who knows, maybe I would love it. If somebody was approaching me in that way, they were giving me tools. They were understanding what my fears were. Now, when it comes to kids with anxiety and OCD, let's take it back to the real world because I might have lost you a little bit. If I have a child who is afraid of the dark, and I'm taking something really simple because I want to relate to everybody who's listening. So your child might have much more extreme issues, but we're just making it very simple today so I can get my point across. If I said, you know, go in your dark room and grab your shoes, or you're going to lose electronics for a week, the child is going to run in there, grab their shoes, like there's like somebody chasing them. Their heart's going to be pumping. They're going to run back out. They're going to be terrified. And then they're going to feel like they dodged a bullet, like they, you know, didn't get eaten by sharks. And so like when my kids, when I say, go back up and get your shoes or whatever, do you want to take a challenge? Uh, You can earn blah, blah, blah. And I am really big in reinforcers. And I know that a lot of people are going to be like, you know, reinforcers are bad, or I'm not going to bribe my kids to do things they should already be doing. But to get somebody to jump off a cliff when they have anxiety or OCD is very tricky because there's so much physiologically working against them saying this is a dangerous, bad idea. So when we sweeten the pot and I say, you know what, for being brave and taking a step towards your fear, I can offer you this incentive. And the real reward is not, you know, them grabbing the the token or the toy or the points that they're going to be earning. The real reward is the alternative experience they're going to be getting that's going to rewire their brain. And so we have to skill build. So we don't just throw a bunch of rewards at them and say, I'm going to bribe you to go into this dark room. And then you're going to, you're going to realize you're fine. I'm going to want to give them a lot of tools and a lot of skills so that when they do that, they are actually rewiring their brain because their brain has one pathway that says all dark rooms are scary. All dark rooms have a sociopath waiting to kill me and there's no in between. And so what we're doing when we're talking about neuroplasticity is we're giving the brain an alternative experience. I'm going to go into that dark room. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to like survive it by going as fast as I can and coming back out. That's actually reinforcing that one pathway that says it's scary. Dark rooms are scary. And I just survived a dark room. Barely. I want them to go slow and I want to build skills before I offer a challenge. And then another pathway develops that says I went into a dark room and I had an alternative experience. I went into a dark room and nobody attacked me. And it wasn't because I was running really fast and I like dodged them. It was because there was no one there. And the more I do that over and over and over again, the more this new pathway is emerging and the more my brain is going to start to prefer this pathway of the dark doesn't always equal scary. Because as this research showed, the generalization is part of the problem with an anxious mind. When it comes to OCD, it's a circuitry, it gets stuck. And so there's, we're on a loop and a lot of the spam thoughts and the spam intrusive thoughts are not getting filtered. And so we have to override that by sitting in the discomfort and telling our brain, you know, yes, I know your brain is telling you that you need to check again, or yes, I know your brain is telling you that you have these intrusive thoughts and you have thought fusion, which says I have this thought. So I am this thought. I am this person or whatever it is for your child. We teach kids to override that by sitting in that discomfort without you know, hitting that parachute and doing the compulsion so that their brain can actually eventually filter and say, okay, it wasn't that bad. I got through it instead of, you know, hitting that escape. And so they're very similar in the sense that we want our kids to walk towards fears and sit with them, but we want them to do it on their terms. Uh, We want to highly encourage it. And that's where the incentives do come in. So I did talk to Ross Green. I had interviewed Ross Green a while back because I know a lot of us follow Ross Green's work and he doesn't really believe in consequences, which is totally fine for normal stuff. I totally agree. I think when it comes to anxiety and OCD and getting kids to take those challenges, I do believe we need those bravery points or those bravery incentives to get them to go off the cliff. It doesn't mean we always do it and we up the ante as we're doing it. And so maybe initially it's just to get you through that dark room and then maybe it'll be to sleep there half the night. And then maybe it'll be there for you to sleep the whole night. So the incentives keep going up And the challenges keep going up. The incentives keep going up. I don't mean like you keep getting bigger incentives. I mean, you're offering incentives for bigger things as the child's ability to handle discomfort grows. But that doesn't mean that those neural pathways aren't developing in a positive way because they're having these new experiences that are going against what their anxious brain is telling them, which is I can't handle discomfort or something bad's going to happen. 
So if you're interested in looking at those episodes, it's episode 75 when I talk to Ross Green and episode 76, I kind of break it down um, a little bit further after I talk to him. So you can check out those episodes. Okay. So that is about consequencing anxiety and OCD. I don't feel like we should be consequencing them because I don't feel that it's effective. I think research supports that as well. We do want to offer incentives. Um, Even if you don't offer incentives in your typical parenting style, I do feel like that is a big component to motivate our kids. And then we want to build skills. So when I send that kid into the dark room, I'm not going to just send them in the dark room. So if it's anxiety, not OCD, because I don't talk to OCD in the way that I talk to anxiety, I'm going to say, what does your anxiety say will happen when you go into a dark room? Now, the reason why we talk like that is because I don't want to put the child on the defensive and semantics really do matter when we talk to kids about anxiety or OCD. How we ask these questions will make or break whether they give us an answer. And so when I say to kids, what's the worst that your anxiety says will happen? I'm doing a couple of things. One, I'm saying, what is the worst thing? And so instead of what are you scared of or why are you scared? That will put a kid on defensive. I'm saying, what is the worst thing? So I'm already acknowledging it's bad. And I want to know what's the worst part of it. And then instead of what's the worst thing that you think will happen in a dark room, I say your anxiety. And so I'm removing anxiety from their identity and I'm making it one step away. So I know, you know, the room is safe. I know, you know, the dark room is fine, but what does anxiety say? Or what does OCD say? And we'll talk about OCD in a second. So let me just stay with anxiety. And I do have a lot of episodes on just communicating and finding the core fear. Episode 51 goes into learning how to find the core fear behind your child's anxiety or OCD. So that might be a really good one. But episode four, you know, I was very green at that time. That was my fourth podcast episode. But I do have that episode and I talk about my child therapist secrets on how to get kids to open up. So it's all about the semantics, right? So if I say to my child, what's the worst thing that anxiety says will happen to you in the dark? Well, my child's going to give me some, hopefully, as I develop trust and communication, some pretty interesting information. We often assume that we know what the anxiety or OCD theme is, but often we're wrong. So I'm going to give you an example of what happened a long time ago, just so I can use like a concrete example. So um, my son, when he was younger, was terrified of the dark like many anxious kids are, like many kids are. The difference between an anxiety disorder and you know just developmentally appropriate fears is the intensity and level of disruption that it causes. So if you have a child who is maybe developmentally out of that range, that preschool range of being afraid of the dark or, or and or, um, they can't sleep in their room, they're terrified, they can't go in a dark room at all, My child couldn't go in a dark room, even if it was daylight, they would perceive it as dark. So it's the severity of it as well, because that's also the pushback that we get from people who want to consequence anxiety and OCD is we also get that pushback of, isn't it normal? Aren't a lot of kids afraid of this? Aren't a lot of kids afraid of, you know, the dark? Or aren't a lot of kids afraid of going to school? Sometimes it's the severity of it. So I said to him, what's the worst part about going into the dark room? What does your anxiety say? We have a name for it because I always talk about personifying anxiety or OCD. And he said at the time, I'm worried that someone's going to scale up the wall and break my window and come in and stab me to death. That was very specific. So that wasn't really what I was imagining. Like maybe he was afraid of monsters, but he had a very specific fear. With anxiety, I, I will rationalize and reframe a child's thinking. With OCD, we do not do that. I'm not going to go into that today. If you've listened to my other podcast, you get that already. We don't rationalize with OCD because OCD loves when you try to rationalize it because it wants you to talk to it and actually grows it. And no matter how much you rationalize with a child who has OCD, you know, that's not really germy, or, you know, that's not contaminated, or, you know, you're not a bad person, or, you know, that you don't have to go check again because you already checked. It doesn't matter. Even the person with OCD knows it doesn't matter because regardless of how often you tell me, I don't have to do that. My OCD is still going to be louder than you and still telling me that I need to do it. Now, anxiety is different. You can rationalize with anxiety. You can reframe thinking and it can help. And that's why they're very different. So with my son who does have OCD and anxiety, but his OCD is around food, has nothing to do with being afraid of the dark. And unfortunately, these are two guys that like to hang out together, anxiety and OCD. So they're comorbid conditions. So a lot of our kids have both of them, not always, but often they do. And so because this was an anxiety thing, I was able to go out, show him how big his wall is outside. 
to his window. We got plungers because he thought that someone could use a plunger and plunge their way up, kind of like a cartoon, right? He was younger at the time, but he was actually too old to have those thoughts. And so I showed him, can you scale the wall with this plunger? No, that's a cartoon idea. And we even got a ladder out and we showed him that the ladder didn't even reach his window. And so in my anxiety, my crush anxiety course, I talk about red thoughts and green thoughts. And so his red thought was that somebody, a bad guy is going to come and scale the the wall and break his window and then kill him. And so we created some green thoughts and the green thoughts are reframes. They're reframes of his cognitive distortions. And so I helped him build up his green thoughts. Now they have to come from child themselves. I'm not going to go into the detail about this. I have done another podcast on this and my crush anxiety course goes into this in minute detail. And so my OCD course goes into minute detail about how to handle the OCD aspect of it. So I'm not going to go into that in here, but we did green thoughts and you know, his green thought was they can't scale the wall. Nobody can get up there. It's too high. And so when I would say to him, do you want to take a challenge and go into your dark room? Right. I would offer the incentive, you know, you can earn blah, 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 which was very key. And then I would say, what are your green thoughts? And he would say, nobody can get into my room. They can't scale the walls. They can da, da, da. So when he would go, I'd say, you have to walk. You can't run to earn your points. So he'd go very slowly. And then he would be telling himself the green thoughts. I'm safe in this house. Nobody can scale my walls. And those were the skills that needed to be in place before I offered an incentive and a challenge for him to go into his room. So if I had said, go to your room, are you losing all electronics? He'd run in, run back out, and there would be no change in his neural pathways. He's not developing an alternative understanding of what's happening. But when I help him with his red thoughts and green thoughts, And then he is able to do a challenge and have an alternative reality of what happened. Now we are talking. So replace the dark room with anything else you're dealing with, with anxiety, and it still works, right? Building up those skills and then offering challenges. That's what works. Now for OCD, it's very similar as well. We have to educate our kids on the skills. So if I have a child who thinks something's contaminated, and if I say, pick up the remote, or you're going to go to bed early because I'm tired of this, like we need to go, or you are only allowed to wash your hands once. And if you wash your hands any more than that, you're getting punished and you're going to get grounded. Yeah, that might work for a little while if your child's really intimidated by you, but you're not changing the brain chemistry. You're not working on skill building. You're not teaching them anything that is going to be portable that will help them long-term in life. But if you teach them OCD wants you to do stuff, OCD is going to make you do stuff. And the more you do stuff for OCD, the bigger it's going to grow. So education is first on both of these. And then, you know, could we reduce your hand washing? 10% and 20%. Can we do exposures where you touch things that are contaminated and you can earn brave points for doing this? That's a key component. I'm going to ask you to jump off a cliff and trust me that a net will appear and that's scary. And so we want to offer incentives. I'm not going to go into how to do that because that's not the purpose of this episode, but I want you to realize that building up those skills and then offering them challenges, that's how you're really going to change the trajectory for their life they're going to build skills that they're going to tap into, you know, over and over again, because anxiety and OCD, it's a a lifelong issue that can be very, very well managed with the right skills. If you ignore it, you overpunish it, and you think they'll outgrow it, you're really putting your child at a disadvantage because they're going to grow up and they're going to hit bumps like we all do. And they're not going to know how to navigate it because they haven't learned any skills. Okay. So that's for consequencing anxiety or OCD. Now, when we're talking about consequence behaviors that are coming from anxiety or OCD, that can get trickier because sometimes they're doing things that are completely not okay. And we might know that they've been triggered by anxiety or OCD. So the first step is unfortunately, we have to wear two filters as parents who are raising kids with anxiety and OCD. And that is, I've got my filter. So I see your behavior. So now we're not just talking about a child refusing to go to bed because they're scared. That's clearly just anxiety. But maybe you know, they are jumping all over the house and they're, they're hitting or they're throwing things and they're saying, I'm not going to bed or I'm not going to go to school or they're overwhelmed by something directly related to their anxiety or OCD. So I'm going to be talking about just behaviors that are triggered. So it's negative behavior, difficult behavior, but it's been triggered by something that makes them anxious or triggers their OCD. And so what do we do with that? And a lot of times parents will say, well, I'm just going to consequence it. It's not okay. It's not okay to curse at me or throw things. And it's not okay. I agree. Completely not okay. But the first filter that needs to happen is, okay, my child just threw a pillow at the floor. I told them to go do something and they kicked the trash over and they threw a pillow. 
So I have to say, is this anxiety or OCD? Or is this just typical difficult behavior? And so I have to say to myself, what just happened before this action? What did I ask them to do? Or what are they about to do? Right? So we're looking at the behavior that happened right before and we're looking at where they were headed. Okay. Well, my child was just sitting there watching TV. And then I told them they had to get ready to go to bed. And then they threw a pillow and they kicked the trash can. Well, I know my child is deathly afraid of going to sleep. I know that we're working on them sleeping on their own and they've had a really hard time and they start to rev up around bedtime because of it. And so is that linked to anxiety? Yes, of course, right? If my child is doing something that is making them anxious and then they have really poor behavior, difficult behavior, then the likelihood of it being linked is high, right? So we want to wear those two filters. So I'm wearing the filter of, okay, now I'm just looking at your behavior like the average parent would. And now it's going through a second filter to say, is this anxiety or OCD related? And sometimes it is just that they keep their stress in so much that they just are more irritable in general and more oppositional in general because they are stuffing so much and they have so much stress. I'm not going to talk about that today. I'm talking about when something is directly triggered because of their anxiety or OCD. Now, I do have an entire course on this because it is such a common issue with the parents that I work with online that I created a whole separate course called How to Help Kids with Difficult Behavior Caused by Anxiety or OCD. And if you're interested in just diving deeper and being like, oh my gosh, that's my problem, you can check it out at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. And so in the course, I walk you through and I talk about the first thing that you have to do is figure out what was triggering this behavior. And I actually have videos for the kids too, because I want them to do the work. I want them to say, whoa, I just raged. What's going on with me? And so the course is kind of unique because my anxiety course and my OCD course are for you, the parent completely. And ironically, my social anxiety course is for the child or adult with social anxiety directly. My difficult behavior class and my sleep struggle class, I've got one on sleep too. Those are unique because there is videos for the parent and there's actually videos for the child as well. And so you learn and then your child learns. So I kind of teach your child directly. But when you consequence behavior that is being caused by a trigger from anxiety or OCD, there is no learning curve because it's not like they want to be like that. So it's not like that child is like, oh, you know what? I kicked over the trash can. And then my parents said, you know what? For the next week, you cannot watch TV because we do not accept aggression in this house. And so the next time my child is overwhelmed and is anxious, does that mean they're going to stop, pause and think I shouldn't throw the trash can over because last time I did this, you know, I lost TV for a week. No, they're in fight or flight or freeze. And they're going to have that bodily reaction every single time. And you're going to get frustrated because you're going to think there's no learning curve on this kid. I mean, how many times do you need to be grounded for you to listen to me? I mean, you've already lost the TV like three weeks in a row for your behavior when we said you need to go to bed and you're doing it again. Like, Don't you get it? Do you want to just lose TV forever? No, the child doesn't want to lose TV forever. The child can't help it because it's not about behavior. That's just a symptom. It's like looking at a bullet hole. Again, here I am with my graphic examples. I apologize. But it's like looking at a bullet hole and being like, can you stop bleeding? You need to stop bleeding. So instead of fixing the wound and, you know, stitching it up and, you know, putting some antibiotics on it and letting it heal, I'm just yelling at the person for bleeding all over my carpet. Get a Band-Aid. I put a Band-Aid on it and now it's bleeding through the Band-Aid. Are you kidding me? I already told you to stop bleeding. (laughs) What's up with you? You know, I already gave you a Band-Aid. Why aren't you fixed? It's like that. It's like the child needs skills and tools and the consequences aren't going to fix it. So it's not about, because sometimes parents will push back and they'll say, so what you're telling me, Natasha, is that it's okay for my child to curse at me. It's okay for my child to be disruptive and break things or be oppositional and not go to school. No, I'm not saying that at all. That's not okay. And I wouldn't be okay with that in my house either. But what I'm saying is you're not going to fix it by just punishing them. It's not going to work. And so at the end of the day, don't we all just want to know what will help eradicate this behavior? That's the ultimate goal. And if, if I'm telling you something's not going to work, it doesn't mean that I approve of their behavior. And I'm saying, yeah, let them get away with it. Let's just call it anxiety and OCD and let them get away with it. No, but how do we help them not have that behavior anymore? It's identifying and talking to the anxiety or OCD. And I talk about this in my online class. And I say, a lot of times our child's anxiety or OCD wants to squirrel us and it wants us to go 
to a different rabbit hole because it doesn't want to talk about its anxiety or OCD. For example, two of my kids had a lot of school anxiety, which kind of turned into some maybe school refusal, really rough mornings. I don't want to go to school. And they were completely due to anxiety and OCD. Both of my kids have social anxiety and they have emetophobia, the fear of throwing up. It's genetic. It just runs in the family. So school in the mornings were rough depending on where they were with their anxiety or OCD. So I might have my child, let's take a couple of years ago, my youngest, she might say, I don't want to go to school. I'm not going to go to school. And I could push back and say, oh, you're going to school. You know, do you want to fail out? You're going to go to school. If you don't go to school, you're going to be punished for the rest of the week. And because it's anxiety-based, it was anxiety and OCD-based, that's not going to really change the dial. And she wants that pushback because physiologically, when they're in fight or flight or freeze mode, they want the conflict subconsciously. Like they have this adrenaline dump in their body and they want the conflict. They're like ready to dig their heels in. And so they're looking for that fight a lot of the time. And, And a lot of times parents are happy to give it to them. You know, I told you, young lady, you do not do that. You do not talk to me that way. But what we want to do is we want to address the anxiety or OCD behind that behavior because that is the cause. That's the fuel line that is causing the fire. And so instead of, let's say, I'm just going to make this up. Let's say my child chucks her shoes across the room and says, I'm not going and you can't make me. Or she might maybe like, she says, I hate you. You're like the worst mom ever. And I could be squirreled and I can say, don't talk to me like that young lady. But instead I'm going to say, wow, your anxiety is really causing you some big upset. Your anxiety is really making you feel like school is a scary place right now. So I'm validating it. And that doesn't mean your child's going to sing Kumbaya with you and you're all going to go to school, you know, in your happy van. No, but I'm helping my child identify what's going on physiologically with them. I'm helping the mind and body connection. I'm not being squirreled. I'm not getting stuck on a behavior, a discipline issue. I'm addressing the thing that's causing that, which is their anxiety or their OCD. And replace what I'm talking about with any of your child's themes. And that's what you're going to address that. And then I'm going to work with the skills and the tools that hopefully I've already started to plant prior to this episode. So for my daughter, I might say, what are your red thoughts right now? If we're dealing with anxiety and she might say, I'm afraid I'm going to throw up, mom. I'm afraid I'm going to throw up. And I'll say, what are your green thoughts? What do you need to tell yourself? Well, even if I throw up, I know I'll be okay. Or I can go to the nurse. And if you are dealing with emetophobia, we don't really ever want to tell a kid that they're not going to throw up. We want them to accept the fact that they may or may not throw up, right? And that way they can handle discomfort no matter what. So when I'm addressing the anxiety or OCD and I'm trying to get them to tap into their skills, I'm at least showing up and trying to give them an experience that will have an impact long-term. Because if I can navigate you through this bump, and a lot of times we can't, you know, I'm just a realist. I have three kids with anxiety and OCD. A lot of times you will not, it will be an ugly scene. It won't work out well. And that's just sucks, you know, but when we show up and we're at least trying, we're addressing the actual issue. We are trying to help them use their skills Instead of just going in with a disciplinarian approach and just punishing them and yelling with them, we are giving an opportunity for change. And that's all we can do as coaches, parental coaches, is to give our kids an opportunity to change, an opportunity to use their skills, an opportunity to see past the anger, past the opposition to what's really going on. Because a lot of the time, our kids don't even know. They are in fight, flight, or freeze, and they do not know where all of this is coming from. So when we help them connect the dots by not being squirreled ourselves, by being calm in a perfect world, you know, none of us are perfect hundred percent of the time. I definitely am not. I show up sometimes really ugly. Sometimes I throw out threats, but it's the intention, right? I can have my ugly mornings and say, wow, Natasha, like talk about not practicing what you preach, but I'm human. And sometimes I'm going to have a human reaction and I'm going to move into throwing out consequences before I can even hear them coming out of my mouth. You know, I'm like, and but then I'm like, okay, take it back, right? Think about the situation. And sometimes I like lose that opportunity. I can't salvage that opportunity, but every day is a new day. In a perfect world, we want to show up to those situations with our anxiety and OCD coaching hat on where we can see past the behavior and we can build the skills. And that doesn't mean that afterwards we don't debrief a bit. And some of us have kids where we have to debrief maybe a few days later because we don't want to start the whole thing all over again. And sometimes it's not worth debriefing. You know, if my child chucked a shoe at me and we got through it, they used their skills, they got to school. I'm not going to revisit the throwing of the shoe because it's a moot point. It's not like that's 
my conversation isn't going to impact what they do next time. Now, if they had a lot of behavior that I didn't like, I might revisit that. And I do this a lot with my son. You know, he might have behavior I don't like, and I'll revisit it when he's calm. And I'll say, I get that you were very overwhelmed. I get that you don't like when people come into our house. And I get that you didn't really expect that the electrician was going to come in. And I knew that really upset you. And then you got really irritated. You're playing your video game and you know, you were starting to yell at your sister. And I know that you were already upset because someone came into our house that you weren't expecting. So I get that you were already at a 10, but that's still not okay. It's not an excuse to yell at your sister. Like I never would yell at you like that. I would never let her yell at you like that. And so next time when you're having those really strong emotions and you're feeling really stressed, what can you do? And then depending on your child, your child might say nothing or I hate you. I don't know. But if you've given it enough time, and your trust and communication is pretty strong, my child will come back and he might say, I know I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to go say sorry to her because we've done this so much. There's insight. And he might say, next time that happens, I guess I I could just, you know, put my headphones on so she's not bothering me. Right now he has this thing where like, if he's irritated, he gets really angry with sounds. And I say, you know, you don't control other people's sounds. If the sounds are bothering you, then you can get your vibes which are earplugs, but they're filtered, then, you know, you can take control over your own auditory functioning, but you don't get to control our mouths or what we do. And so he might say something like that, like, okay, well, I can put my vibes in next time. Yes, you can. So I'm not saying that you don't debrief or maybe circle back and talk about the behavior that was unacceptable. Talking about it in the moment is like literally going to a fire and grabbing a thing of gasoline and pouring it on the fire. It will not help. And so it's splitting hairs to say, well, you know, am I going to let them get away with it or not? It doesn't matter. The bottom line is it's not going to help. It's an accelerant. And do we pour an accelerant on a fire? No. Wait till the fire is out. And then maybe we go back and we look at what started the fire. Could we talk about fire safety (laughs) using my analogy? And so it's okay to circle back if we're going to make it a learning experience. And I always start with validating the emotion behind it. Like, I get that you were scared to go to school and I get that it was a rough morning for you. You were really tired. You were feeling really stressed, but it's never okay to curse at me. Now, my kids don't curse at me, thankfully, but I'm just using this as an example. What could you do instead next time that happens? Because there will be a next time that school's going to be stressful for you. And it's not okay that we disrespect each other. I would never see what I'm doing here. I'm validating the feeling. And then I am calling out the behavior, not the person. And then I'm also, it's like a sandwich. I'm saying I would never do that to them because we have to practice what we preach. So I can say, I would never curse at you. I would never talk to you that way. So our behavior is important as far as we can't ask our kids to do things that we're not doing ourselves. So if I'm throwing things at my kids, I'm cursing at them. I'm being disrespectful. I'm being oppositional. I can't expect that my kids aren't going to be that way back to me. You know, we've got to practice what we preach. And if we don't, if we slip up, it's good to go back and have a corrective conversation about ourselves as well. I've done that. I've lost my cool, especially since my husband died. I had one very big freak attack and a couple of small ones. And actually recently I had a freak attack too, but it wasn't at my kids. It was actually directed at myself. I was trying to build this new workbench for my son. And it's something that my husband would have done. And it's like one of those things that like, it should take five minutes. It's literally screw this, screw that pop it up. It's good to go. I am spatially delayed. I'm like legitimately spatially delayed. So I was like throwing the wrench and saying, I can't do this. And this is too hard. And um, this is something that your dad would do. And it's so stupid. I'm throwing this thing out. I'm donating it. It's actually still in my garage. (laughs) And then I like put the bolt on too tight so I couldn't get it off. And I was so frustrated with myself, but I circled around um, and then I bought him a big desk, like a craft desk because he has an Etsy store now which I have been talking about. And thank you guys for those of you that are supporting his Etsy store that is really helping his self-esteem. He makes necklaces and now he's actually making paracord bracelets and they're really good. Shameless plug for my son's Etsy store. I actually bought him a URL. And so it is uh, xanderscraftstore.com in case you want to support him. Xander with an X and it's xandercrafts, which is plural craftsstore.com. So check out his store because it's really helping him. So I will shamelessly plug his store as often as I can, but I did circle back. So I made him this big craft table and this was like maybe four days later and I was feeling very frustrated again. And I put it all completely backwards and I could not figure it out, but I stuck with it. 
because I knew he was watching me, like not literally, like I was modeling behavior for him. And so I undid the whole thing and I like carved out my entire day to work on this thing because I didn't like what I had modeled for him on the workbench. And so I finally got it done and it's a beautiful table. It's like a simple table that literally would have taken someone 15 minutes, but you know what? Self-compassion is really important. And so that's just not my thing, but I still did it. And I circled back on purpose and I said to him, I don't like the way I talk to myself. That wasn't very good, right? That wasn't very kind to myself. And I took a couple days off. I took four days off actually. And then I built this table for you. And you know what? I had just as much of a hard time with this table as I did the other one. But the difference is I went in and I knew that it was going to take me a long time and that I was going to be more self-compassionate with myself because I have to give myself some slack. Not everything's going to be like my go-to thing. So I did that on purpose because I knew that I had modeled some really ugly behavior for him and I wanted to close the loop and I wanted to model good behavior, positive behavior, not only for him, but for myself. I mean, I wanted to be more compassionate to myself. And so I was doing it for myself first and foremost, but I was modeling it for him and I was making sure that we had a discussion about it. So I hope that this makes sense. And I hope that you found this helpful um, and some insight into maybe how to approach our kids' difficult behaviors and how to realize that consequences are just, regardless of whether you are pro-consequences or not, it doesn't matter. I hope that you got from this podcast episode that it's just not going to work regardless. So I hope that you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or Google Play and rate it. And if you have a few extra seconds, if you can leave a review, I always greatly appreciate it. So I hope that you find a sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.